Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Today, I have a very, very special guest, Mr. Evan Haynes, my spouse and very best friend, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think I really wanted to have you on, aside from the fact that you're just an incredible human being, because I feel like romantic relationships in sobriety get a lot of bad a lot of bad rap. You know what I mean? Like it gets a bad rap and I feel like while ours hasn't been perfect, it's pretty damn good. And I would love to share with people how we've done it so far and what our relationship is like. Evan and I met when I was brand new in sobriety. I think I had like probably 20 days maybe. And we met at an AA meeting, and, well, I don't know, why don't you tell people what I was like? <laughs> well, um, she would kind of come in with these scarves over her head and sunglasses, like a, a Hollywood movie star or something, and um, I guess I wondered who she was. Uh, one day, I remember she came in and she shared, well, oh my gosh, I just got voted the most um, popular mugshot. Oh my gosh. And I was like, <laughs> first of all, like, who does she think she is? And second of all, I was like, who is she? I went home and Googled and kind of fi- figured it out. That's so funny. Yeah. So yeah, we met, we met in AA, and I think that you kind of felt like you needed to steer clear. Evan has had yeah. five years at the time. So Evan was five years ahead of me. And we used to go to this meeting and I would listen to you talk about recovery and life. And I was always really envious of the things that you would say. Mm. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, how, how do you get that? Mm. Like, how do you obtain that level of like spirituality and, um, you know, like the real desire and freedom from like obsessing over drinking all the time. And so I really, really, looked up to you in that way and then we started to develop kind of a friendship and then well you had had your kind of crisis in sobriety you actually came and asked me and another gentleman at the meeting if we knew any female sponsors we kind of pointed you in the right direction and then it seemed like you disappeared for a number of months yeah i disappeared to go and do some to do the steps to do the step work and then I came back to the meeting, and that's when we kind of started to hang out mm-hmm. a little bit. You were different. You were 100% different. This kind of girl who was so full of herself and seemed to be you know, above the rest of us was all of a sudden one of us. You were, you were in recovery with us in this uh, community of friends that we developed. And you know, I, I credit, uh, and, and I was going through my own crisis at the time, um, Jared and I had lost my life savings, and that's true. We we dove into that meeting, and I mean everything. Aloe House really came out of that time. Um, we would hang out after the meeting, us and a bunch of friends, and go to more meetings. I mean, gosh, I was going to like I was unemployed at the time, so, <laughs> so I was going you to like time in the world. <laughs> yeah, I was going to like three meetings a day, and you know we would we would sometimes go to meetings together, and I think it started slowly enough, and went from there. Eventually, Evan asked me out, and we went on this, like, epic date that I thought was really amazing, 
And then we went on a second date, which I thought was even better. And he actually asked to meet my mom on the very second date. On the second date, I was like, do you know what you're walking into? <laughs> this woman is insane. <laughs> and he wanted to meet her. And then that night he called me and he broke up with me. Yeah. Well, there were some <laughs> issues. Um, he, I knew it was my mom. <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with your mom. You know, you were basically like when you're sober, we were uh, starting a sober living at the time. And my business partners sort of thought this wasn't like a good look. Um, it, was a, it was a very difficult time. My hands were tied in a lot of ways. Um, well, <laughs> well, I'm glad that you... Um, eventually came to your senses because here we are. So Evan came to his senses. We started dating again. I actually mm. <laughs> I moved in like two weeks after that. We don't recommend any of this at home, by the way. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it worked out well for us. Um, and then a, just a few short weeks after that, Evan, I don't want to say got deported to Canada because you didn't get deported. Well, I went home for a routine sort of visa extension and things didn't go exactly how I thought they would. So I move in and he tells me he's going to be back in six weeks. A couple days, a couple weeks. <laughs> and six months went by and he still wasn't back. And so he called me on the phone and proposed to me and had this huge, um, brilliant idea that we would run away to Mexico and get married, and then eventually he would make his way back to the States. And that's, that's what happened. So, you know, in our case, it really worked out. What are the things that you think were so important to, like, making that work? Well, I think it's acceptance. And I think in recovery, we learn to accept ourselves. And in finding that compassion for ourselves, we find compassion and acceptance for others. And I think that there, there's nothing... Uh, as important as that in a relationship. I'd been in relationships where um, people didn't sort of know about my past, where I wasn't, you know, going to tell them about my past or downplay it. And, that, and, and, and that's one approach. But I think for people who've really been through some stuff, um, that there's nothing that would, would bring those people together more than kind of sharing that. I, I know in our first early dates, there was two things. We talked about how crazy it was growing up, and we talked about um, how we wanted to have a normal family and how we wanted to, you know, break a lot of these cycles. And for you, you know, you talked about tradition and you talked about raising um, kids and raising, raising a family. And of course, I had to take your word for it uh, then. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't going to be sure you were you know, you knew what you were talking about until we actually did it. And uh, you know, I remember we were at our wedding and your mom was on that sort of rampage to clear your name, you know, that you weren't really in the bling ring bandits. And I was actually really disappointed. I thought that was <laughs> the coolest, the coolest thing, thing ever. Yeah. And like, oh my God. That was like the major selling point. Yeah. You know, and, and in what other world but the world of recovery would, would these things be cool? be cool? You know, like... Yeah. Only in recovery do we say, it's so great you went to jail. I mean, you went to L.A. County Jail, I went to L.A. County Jail. Different times, sure, different sure. facilities, but... <laughs> yes. But we had that in common. We did. So I know the perspective as a female growing up with physical violence and sexual trauma and chaos and dysfunctional families. I know from my perspective of a woman what that was like. And I want to talk to you a little bit about 
your perspective as a male growing up in that kind of similar chaos? Hmm. Well, I don't know um, the difference. I know certainly I learned to shut down emotionally, and I suppose I'd be guessing, but in that respect, there's probably similarities. Definitely kind of retreated into myself. I, I remember being, I was re remembering this just the other day, crying, hyperventilating, crying so hard one time and being told not to cry. Um, and at the same time, I think that's kind of normal for, for males in our culture. So um, maybe I just had to try a little harder not to cry. And I know it's one of your biggest complaints is that I don't cry enough still. It's just amazing to me that you yeah. never cry. Uh, like you didn't cry at our children's births, yeah. you didn't cry at our wedding, you never yeah. cry. Yeah. I just find that like incredible because like I cry over everything. Uh, so yeah. I don't So maybe know. that's a difference, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I think that boys are told that crying is a weakness. And I feel like in this era where we're era where we're talking about like toxic masculinity and um, how it's affecting men and women. Um, I want to talk to you about that because you, you are the most masculine man I've ever, ever been with and that I've ever known, but you are so sensitive and so caring and so loving. And I just want to know your perspective on like what masculinity really is and how, how you do it. Well, I'm flattered. <laughs> First of all, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you, but I appreciate it. I agree. I, I mean, I'm standing behind my position. Okay. Well, I accept your position. <laughs> I know that I never really fully conformed to masculine roles. I mean, I never, I tried sports. I think I played a whole season of basketball. I never scored a point. Um, didn't quite make the the baseball team. They put me on the softball. Like I tried. I put myself out there. But you're incredible at jujitsu. Well, is I am now. Arts. That was later in life. Okay. I, I was 31 <laughs> years old. But but growing up, I you know people made fun of me. My my voice was high pitched. I developed later. Um, you know, in fact, there's a funny story. I think I was like probably Harper's age. I was four or five years old, and I go to the dentist and the the, the hygienist after. Um, shows me a drawer full of little toys and I'm digging through them and my dad's standing beside the dental hygienist and I, I pull out a little purse and my dad's like, oh my God. And, uh, <laughs> and she says, well, maybe he thinks it's like a toolbox. And I go, look, it's a little purse and I can put it on my arm. And he's just like, you know, so I, I, I never conform to what I would call gender norms. Um, and I'm sure there's different reasons for that. You know, I was raised... Uh, by my grandma, um, almost exclusively. My I didn't have brothers or sisters, but I had a cousin and f other female cousins, and we would play Barbie dolls, and you know, my grandma sewed. I would help her sew. We would bake together. Um, so there's all these things that I guess weren't sort of traditional, conforming kind of masculine roles that I would do. Uh, and it was, I mean, I'll be honest, it was difficult. I, I, I didn't quite fit in the same way. I was artistic. Um, I wasn't, you know, into sports. Uh, so I guess I'm just living proof there's, there's kind of maybe a, a, a range of, of possible um, masculine roles and that I suppose one can be both, you know, sensitive and masculine and without the sort of um, 
trappings, the sort of typical behavior that one associates with being masculine. I feel like, though, in our d dynamic, like, you are very masculine and I am very feminine. Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely feel like that is our dynamic. And I feel like the true sense of masculinity of being, like, a provider, being logical, being, you know, um, strong and, like, kind mm -hmm. of the rock of our family. Like, you hit every single one of those points. Well, I remember learning, and it was, uh, it's counterintuitive, and I don't think a lot of people understand that actually nurturing, which is often associated as, as being a female mm -hmm. trait, is actually a very masculine, masculine trait. trait. Mm -hmm. So I find most of my joy in those things you just mentioned, in being as good of a husband as I can be, and in being a really good dad, and being there for, for my family and giving them everything my whole life. What are your hopes for the future generation now that you're a father of, of two daughters? Like this year, the year of 2018 has been a year for, you know, the Me Too and Time's Up movements. And we're having a huge discussion around, um, you know, in the political spectrum and entertainment spectrum about, um, you know, standing up for women mm -hmm. and their rights. So. I, I would just like to know, like, your perspective as a father of two daughters, like, what your hopes are. I'm all for it. I, I've, I've always kind of been for the, the underdogs, I mean, which is ironic because, of course, women aren't uh, some minority. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, and it's amazing to watch them stand up for themselves and amazing to see how much power women actually indeed have. And, um, you know, and then the other uh, sort of, Part of your question is that something people, a lot of people, complain about all the sort of, you know, gender pronouns and and you know this they they think it's kind of liberalism gone run amok and I'm actually all for that too. I I think it's great and the more we can kind of break down those roles and the more we can kind of see all of the sort of roles that don't conform to the sort of typical binary um, sort of dualistic view of of how it works, I think are great, and I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's so amazing that um, the relationship that you have with our kids, and we work really hard to break the cycle. What are some of the ways that you're doing that as a father? I know, you know, it's a concern of mine that my daughters are, um, I guess, as, as strong and as independent as they can be, and that they can be, that they know they can be uh, anything that they want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I already see differences coming out in, in them, and I mean, we'll see what happens. But, I do too. Yeah, yeah. so um, I would just want to support them and encourage them to be, you know, certainly to be as funny and to be as smart um, as they can be, and to, like whether they were boys or girls, I mean, just to, to, to love life and to see the, the wonder in life and the beauty in life and certainly to be resilient enough to handle the pain of life and to um, feel, uh, to not be afraid to feel other people's pain, um, to not take it on, but to, 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 to have compassion yeah. for others. And to show them that like the feelings that they have are okay. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever they're feeling, it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where that resilience comes mm -hmm. in. It's like, okay, I'm going to make it through this. 
I think one of the most important things that, that we do for our relationship and for our marriage is um, that we put it first. Mm -hmm. You know, that we put our individual growth first, and then we put our relationship second, and then we put our children third. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. They put their children first, and their marriage suffers. Mm -hmm. You know, because at the end of the day, after 18 years go by and your kids move out of the house, it's like you have each other. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't been nourishing that relationship for the last 18 years, it's bound to fall apart if it even makes it that far. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in our last seven years of marriage? Mm. Well, it's not just about me anymore. <laughs> and um, I think I first learned that when you were uh, pregnant with Harper and you'd ask me to bring you toast. You'd be in bed and I need to bring you some toast and I'd make the toast and bring you the toast and I did that enough times and it was like practice and then here comes a baby and then I have to get up and feed the baby and well you didn't feed the baby but well I fed the second baby you fed the second baby I fed the second baby I did every overnight feeding on the second baby yeah you um, helped. I helped mm -hmm. a lot uh, as much as I could and and it just um, it's taught me patience selflessness all of these sort of um, skills that I think uh, hopefully people have, and, and if you haven't had kids yet, um, that hopefully you learn once, once you do. <laughs> once you have kids. Yeah. I think that it, it's definitely different because, for you because you got married to me when you were 36 years old. I was ready. I mean, but you had gone 36 years. Right. Where it was all of, about me. Where it was all, <laughs> all about you, and you were an only child. That's true. I think that you do a really good job of balancing that me time family time, spouse time, and work time. But I have those mornings. I'm lucky in yes. that I work for myself, that I can usually spend mornings with the kids. I can usually take Harper to school. Yeah, um, those moments matter, absolutely. They matter a lot. And then, you know, I have my jujitsu, which is like my passion, you know, outside of work, outside of home, and I'm able to do that three times a week. Um, I'm really lucky. It's yeah. a perfect balance. And, and I, I do recommend for anyone for their sanity to have some kind of passion, to have some kind of hobby that's separate from their family, that's separate from their work. This podcast is obviously about, you know, like recovering from reality. And we talked a lot about, you know, wanting to parent differently, wanting to have a different relationship than our parents did. And I just, I think that it's so important for, for people to know that there absolutely has to be a balance. Like you can't just be like, you know, helping, helping, helping other people, focusing on your kids and like letting all those things, those other things that, that you do to take care of yourself fall by the wayside. Well, yeah, and you alluded to my work and I, I would just kind of turn that um, back to you. I'm your biggest fan. I always have been. Um, I sort of saw something in you, I think, a long time ago and knew that you had so much to offer the world. I'm so glad this is happening, you know, that, that this can be one of the many platforms that you have to, you know, share, um, share your strength, share your wisdom. You know, you've always been a lot uh, wiser than me, um, I think, in, in, in a lot of ways. You're shaking your head. but no. <laughs> You've taught me so much. Yeah. I mean, like, it is... I would not be the woman that I am today without you. Like the the amount of empathy and compassion that you have for people in this world, and um, just the way that you look at life is 
in, it, I'm like in awe of you and you have taught me so much. And had it not been for you, I wouldn't have the relationship that I have with my family today. So I'm really grateful because you, I've, okay, fine. We've been each other's greatest mm, teachers and I'll stick with that. <laughs> I've had so many meltdowns in our marriage, I can't even count. Um, you've and you've always just been really patient and really gracious with me, and I'm so appreciative of of that. Well, of course, because I'm far from perfect, and <laughs> that's my little get out of jail free card. And not that I keep a scorecard per se, but I mean, you were talking about kind of breaking out of the sort of um, paradigms with the, the the Me Too movement and the sort of end to toxic masculinity. I think your exploration of recovery is, is, is you know, um, amongst other people, um, really an effort that's going to bring us into a whole new way of being. And of you being. support me in that because as a man who's married to a woman who has such severe sexual trauma and, and such a history with that Me Too movement and with that Time's Up stuff and, you know, like being taken advantage by the entertainment industry, people in it, and being someone who's been through such severe sexual trauma like you're helping people too to say you know to to kind of without even saying so show people how you have a relationship with someone like that i mean it's definitely been like a bit messy and chaotic but but the amount of patience that you've had with me the amount of understanding that you've had with me the you know, acknowledgement of like, whoa, I just messed up and I could see how that triggered you and whatever else. All of those moments have really, I think when we talk about them, it shows people that it is possible to have like a really healthy, balanced relationship and to work out those traumas, all of that stuff that comes up when you're married and in a relationship and kids and all of that. And I just love that we're each other's biggest fans and that we advocate for each other and... I love having you as my husband and as an ally. Mm. You're an incredible person, and mm. I love you so much. Thank you, babe. Um, I think that's that's it. I think that's good. I love you. I love you too, babe. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for podcast. having me. This is going to be great. I can't wait to to hear them all. <laughs>